Welcome back to Evolving, the podcast designed to help you strive, thrive, and optimize. This show covers the topics of science, health, longevity, and psychology. I'm your host, Nita Jane, and every couple weeks I discuss an idea to improve your quality of life in some way, shape, or form. That being said, let's get right into it. Last time, we discussed the importance of loosening our attachment to beliefs in order to have more productive discussions with people who disagree with us. Loosening our attachment to one belief in particular can help alleviate mental suffering, boost our productivity through flow, and help us experience transcendence. What am I talking about? I'm talking about rejecting the idea of the self. I don't mean those experiments where someone tries a series of progressively stranger tasks in order to become desensitized to the sting of rejection. I'm talking about letting go of the concept of the self completely. French philosopher René Descartes once famously said, cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, or to be more precise, dubito ergo cogito ergo sum, I doubt, therefore I think, therefore I am. Some philosophers and neuroscientists argue that Descartes' statement may be a non sequitur, and the insecurity of needing affirmation of self-existence is likely in vain. According to Buddhist and Taoist philosophy, the idea of a stable, continuous self is an illusion, and a sizable body of neuroscience research affirms this viewpoint. The self is likely a social construct, consisting of our values, interests, hopes, fears, dreams, and relationships. If the self doesn't exist, any attacks on our personal character are rendered meaningless. So how exactly is this illusion created? In his book, No Self, No Problem, Chris Niebauer explains that the left side of the brain is responsible for language processing, interpreting meaning, and crafting stories. Consider the word book. What exactly does it mean? We might say it's a medium for recording information with writing and images, often bound by a cover. But we can't assign a singular quality that's universal to all books. Language is a tool that we use in order to interpret and understand reality. It gives us the illusion that the names we assign to things have actual meaning, but these names are just shorthands or proxies to understand our surroundings. Maybe René Magritte was trying to convey a similar idea in his infamous painting, The Treachery of Images, which features the phrase, Sacide ne pas un pipe, French for this is not a pipe, under the image of a tobacco pipe. Explaining the reasoning behind his painting, Magritte said, The famous pipe, how people reproached me for it, and yet, could you stuff my pipe? No, it's just a representation, is it not? So if I had written on my picture, this is a pipe, I'd have been lying. The pipe in the painting is not an actual pipe, but a visual representation of one. To borrow from Polish-American scholar Alfred Korzybski, the word is not the thing. Niebauer points out that the illusion of the self is similar to that of a mirage in a desert. You can observe, visualize, and experience it, but it's not actually there. If you try to answer the question, who am I, your left brain will likely come up with a multitude of different categories to define your selfhood, like gender, occupation, religion, values, interests, but remove categories from the equation, and it becomes significantly harder to pin down the essence of who you are. The I is an illusion extrapolated from the language that the left brain uses to process reality. Our left brains even assign meaning to various visual inputs. The Rorschach-Ingblot test is a way to conceptualize how this works. The Rorschach asks users to look at random inkblot patterns on paper and report what they see. The act of ascribing meaning to these random images is a way to look at how the left brain works in real time. Given an identical image, two people can have vastly different interpretations, informed by their own individual reference frames. Recognizing patterns can be helpful, but can also lead to unnecessary suffering. Let's consider a real-world example. 
If an employee sees her fellow co-workers congregated together in the break room while whispering and casting glances in her direction, she may assume that her colleagues are conspiring against her, but they could just as well be planning a surprise in her honor. Our brains seek out patterns to explain reality, but these patterns only exist in our minds, and we need to realize that in order to reduce mental suffering. What then is the antidote? How can we quiet our left brains? If the left brain is the language processing center, then the right brain is the spatial center responsible for movement-based activity. Yoga and exercise are both great ways to tap into right brain consciousness. The right brain is also responsible for our sense of intuition, or that gut feeling we get when we have a hunch but can't explain the reason behind it. Practicing compassion and gratitude are two additional ways to engage the right brain. Buddhism defines compassion as the ability to see another person as ourselves. Compassion originates in the RTPJ, which sounds like a Myers-Briggs personality type, but isn't. The RTPJ, or right temporoparietal junction, allows us to consider things from someone else's point of view. Gratitude also activates the right brain. A 2014 study published in Social, Cognitive, and Effective Neuroscience found that individuals who regularly practice gratitude have more gray matter volume in the right inferior temporal gyrus. So the next time you find yourself stuck in rush hour traffic or the middle of a rainstorm, remember that the perception of your experiences as unfortunate is simply a byproduct of one half of your brain. Rejecting this interpretation and replacing it with gratitude for the time by yourself will help prevent needless stress, anxiety, and mental suffering. In the same way that quieting the left brain can have health benefits, so too can deactivating the default mode network, or DMN, which comprises several regions of the brain. The DMN is involved in activities of wakeful rest, such as daydreaming or planning for the future. Research suggests that deactivating the DMN can help reduce stress and the risk of developing dementia. Outsweien, the Dutch term for unwinding, refers to the practice of spending time in natural environments and has been proposed as a method to modulate DMN hyperactivity. Along a similar vein, a 2019 study examined how playing sports can help athletes cut through brain static in order to better interpret audio inputs. Researchers hypothesized that the athlete's ability to tune out background noise could help prevent injuries and cardiovascular disease. Another reason to reject the self is to boost productivity by tapping into flow, that state of being in the zone. When you refer to yourself as I, you invoke the ego, a construct of the left brain, but ego death allows us to focus more intently on creative endeavors. In order to tap into flow, we have to let go of our sense of self. That means releasing ourselves of any doubts, anxieties, fears, or insecurities. Flow is necessary for mastery of creative, artistic, and athletic endeavors. C. Wilson Melanchelli describes flow as a state between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. In other words, flow lies somewhere between fight or flight and rest and digest. Flow occurs when you are disengaged from your sense of self and work becomes effortless. Athletes, artists, and musicians frequently tap into flow when practicing their craft. Wide receiver Jerry Rice, soccer legend Pele, cellist Yo-Yo Ma, and violinist Itzhak Perlman are all prime examples. Author and coach Brad Stolberg explains, Releasing from such a tight attachment to oneself is a hallmark of flow, that highly sought-after state of being fully in the zone. Losing oneself is also the goal of most spiritual disciplines. The more you forget about yourself, the better you'll feel, the better you'll do, and the better you'll be. It's no wonder, then, that self-absorption is strongly correlated with clinical depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. And the modern-day ethos unfortunately doesn't do much to help. Our current zeitgeist promotes self-absorption through an influencer culture and appeals to the importance of building a personal brand. But Stolberg offers a couple ways to escape the perpetual cycle of self-consumption. 1. Pursue mastery in any discipline. 
In his book, Drive, Daniel Pink explains that autonomy, mastery, and purpose are deeply critical to high performance and life satisfaction. Psychologist Carol Riff discovered that people who exhibited a feeling of continued development ranked higher on measures of life satisfaction and self-esteem than those who did not. 2. Practice kindness. While devoting oneself to mastery is immensely powerful, devoting oneself to others may be mightier still. Sonia Lubomirsky, one of the world's foremost happiness researchers, finds that individuals who regularly engage in volunteering, mentoring, coaching, or writing letters of gratitude report more positive emotions both in the short term and long term. Psychologist Daryl Van Tongeren has corroborated her findings, reporting that altruistic acts gave people a sense of meaning in their lives. Losing ourselves allows us to be fully present and live in the moment, and self-transcendent experiences have been shown to make us happier, kinder, and less stressed. We experience self-transcendence when we offer ourselves in service to others, but also when we stand wrapped in awe. We experience the feeling of being awestruck when we witness the sheer magnitude of formations like the Grand Canyon, phenomena like the Northern Lights, and structures like the Taj Mahal. In his web series Shots of Awe, Jason Silva defines awe as an experience of such perceptual vastness that you have to literally reconfigure your mental models of the universe in order to assimilate it. Arizona State University psychology professor Dr. Michelle Chiota explains, The experience of awe involves feeling very small and insignificant, yet also connected to something much greater than the self. Experiences of awe have been shown to bolster resilience and increase feelings of compassion, empathy, altruism, and well-being. To recap, rejecting the notion of the self has several benefits. It can make us happier, help us tap into the flow state for improved productivity, and help us experience the benefits of awe. The brain's left hemisphere, responsible for interpreting reality and recognizing patterns, creates the illusion of a stable continuous self and often distracts us with inaccurate interpretations of reality. To counteract the left brain's chatter, we can engage our right brain through activities such as exercise, yoga, meditation, and gratitude practice. Rejecting the self frees up cognitive load, which allows us to enter the flow state, essential for mastery. Losing ourselves in awe-inspiring experiences enriches our lives for the better. If you enjoyed listening, you can find the full transcripts for this and all other episodes at the Substack URL linked in the show notes. You can also subscribe to the Substack to get notified when any future episodes are released. If you'd like to, you can also review the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.